Good morning, good evening, good night. NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> Good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. I'm here with my business partner and friend, Kimon Fontakidis, and our special guest, Nick Sonnenberg, who I believe is in the United States. Hi, Nick. Hi, how are you? Very well. And uh, Nick is the author of a book called Coming Up for Air and the CEO and founder of a, of a, of a company called Leverage or Leverage. And on your LinkedIn profile, you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur. So would you like to just introduce yourself in a minute or two in the way you would if you bumped into someone at some kind of business networking event and you didn't have 45 minutes of undivided attention for the introduction? <laughs> sure. Uh, so my name is Nick and I run a company called Leverage. We help teams and organizations get more efficient and we train them and consult them on best practices that we've developed over the years on not just how best to use all the collaborative tools available now, like Slack, uh, Asana, Microsoft Teams, Gmail, Notion, all these tools. No one's ever been taught when and how to best use them. And so at Leverage, we help train and consult teams, not just how, but when to use these tools, what's the purpose of them? Because knowing when to use a tool and when not to use a tool is the first step. Because uh, if you know how to use a tool, but your whole team has different ideas of the purpose of it, you know, you, that's what causes a scavenger hunt. And we end up saving about a full business day a week per employee and companies we found. And so that's the core of my book. I'm also an author, that would be in my, my intro. Um, and it's called Come Up For Air, um, how your team can leverage systems and tools to stop drowning in work. Um, and I've also got a podcast and do speaking and a whole bunch of other things. Fantastic. Well, thanks for the introduction. And I, I came across you because you were being interviewed on someone else's podcast and you described a fairly traumatic business experience you had that partially led you into what you're doing now. Um, and again, I think it's much better if you describe it than me. Well, so tell us about the business you were, the business you were doing before this one and, and what went horribly wrong yeah. and how did, how did you fix it? Yeah. Well, I'll back up and talk about one. My original career was in high frequency trading. Um, so my background is a, I'm a financial engineer, mathematician. I would code, build algorithms and code computers to trade stocks at high frequency speed. So in that space, um, you really developed as a muscle and a sense of the value of time because a microsecond could literally mean millions. And at a young age, I did quite well. And after about eight years, I took a jump into startups. And always around, you know, this concept of time, which I've been passionate about. And my very first one was an app in the scheduling space. And then um, after that, I developed a freelancer marketplace to do tasks and projects for people. And I had a business partner at the time. And that's the, the, the business that you're referring to. Um, and we, we had this external success. Um, we grew to about a million dollars or seven figures in the first year revenue, 150 people on the team, which all sounds impressive, but under the hood, there was a ton of problems. So for example, we were losing about half a million dollars a year and had three quarters of a million dollars of debt. And a, a lot of our revenue growth was because, you know, we were able to get 20% new clients in every month because we were good at marketing, but we had some broken aspects to the delivery of our services and we were losing 15% of clients each month. So Ooh. net we were growing 5%. And also to make matters worse, um, 
our org chart for 150 people was just he was the head of people and I was ahead of non-people. So lots of we did some stuff smart, but there's a lot of mistakes. We we got over our skis and one day we were having coffee um, and working together. We were a fully remote company, so we didn't always work together. And he tapped me on the shoulder and he says that he's leaving. Not in two weeks or two days. He's literally leaving in two minutes. And, you know, I go white and I'm thinking to myself, my God, we're going to go bankrupt. And because, you know, back to the org chart, he was the head of people. Literally, no one knew who I was. Uh, of our 500 clients, maybe two knew who I was. And of our 150 team members, maybe half a dozen knew who I was. Like, that's how much we kind of separated things. And so when he left, within three months, we lost about 40% of clients. And I'm cashing out my 401k. My dad's taking a second mortgage on his oh house. Oh, my God. To help make payroll, bank accounts getting frozen. It was pretty bad. I mean, as an entrepreneur, we all have you know, our story and our battle wounds. And this is just mine. And I, I had to make a decision. Do I bankrupt the company or do I try to fix this? And so it, it, I saw the path to cleaning things up. I could see where we were wasting a lot of time um, and opportunity. And that's the start of my framework that I lay out in my book and now what we're doing at Leverage. But I, saw, I started seeing very quickly things starting to, to turn around and um, people started reaching out to me, asking me to consult them on their operations. And so like, I got to work with Tony Robbins and Poopery and Ethereum and some interesting companies. And it, what, it, what, what ended up uh, happening was the same stuff that was turning leverage around was just as impactful for, you know, a famous, uh, coach, a poop spray company or a cryptocurrency. It didn't matter the size or the industry. I, so I really felt like I've fallen into something here that you know, now we call it a framework because it's now tried and tested as a true uh, process that's worked now with thousands of teams. And we, we kind of discovered kind of the needs of, you know, what every team needs to be operationally efficient. And when you think about it, work has fundamentally changed in the last 10 years. There's new ways of work and it's not just remote hybrid or whatever. There's all these new softwares available. No one's ever been taught best practice of not just how, but when to use them. And so that's ultimately why I decided to write the book, but also decided to shift the entire business away from doing freelancer marketplace tasks and projects. And now being what we are today, which is, you know, what I'd like to call world-class at operational efficiency, training, training and consulting. And um, we see about a full business day back a week per employee if you follow this stuff. Totally. And, you know, we like digging a bit into the backstory. And I mean, by the way, congratulations. And it sounds like it must have been pretty traumatic because, you know, you were obviously successful at what you did as a high frequency trader. And then to sort of be staring disaster in the face, it kind of been, it kind of been easy. I mean, that, that, that shows a fair degree of resilience that not everyone has. And presumably you don't look back on those days as being the best days in your life. And here you are still smiling and looking, looking you know, okay. It, it forced me to figure this stuff out, you know, without those hard times, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Right, right. You know, but still, I used to, I, yeah. But I, but I was going to say, you, you mentioned that you had to go to your dad or talk to your dad about financing. And um, if you go back a bit earlier in your life, we like to dig a bit into the backstory. And was it, and obviously you went into coding and high frequency trading, but was it obvious to you or your family that at some stage you might be an entrepreneur, have your own, your own setup? Or would they have been surprised to hear that when you were a teenager or younger? Or would you have been surprised to hear that? Um, 
No, I don't think so. Like, I don't think it's a, a complete surprise. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs have stories like where they did paper routes as a kid. You know, as a, at a young age, I was selling baseball cards and like figs from our fig tree around the, the block. So I've always been interested in kind of that spirit. Um, and the, as a high frequency trader, it's very, I would call it entrepreneurial, meaning, you know, they gave me, you know, X billion dollars to play with. And, you know, just like figure out how to make money. Hmm. So it was, it wasn't like someone was telling me every day what to do. And I had a deadlines each week. It was very much so like, here's your portfolio or the, the markets that you're responsible for figure out how to make you know, business out of it. So it was kind of like running a sub business within a larger business. And I did that for eight years. So even though it's, it is totally different running your own company and you have to deal with per people's emotions and personal preferences and a whole bunch of things, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a shocker to anyone. But you, you, did you say you were selling figs? I mean, we're, we're actually quite, you, say you, yeah. you, you were the guy, you were selling figs what, and, and baseball cards. So what was the what was the first customer you ever had in your life? Because like, we're actually very interested in where do entrepreneurs come from? And like, you know, these ideas don't, oh. uh, were you hit by, did you, how, how did that happen? Probably, I would probably say my first customer ever must have been when I was like two or three. Uh, <laughs> okay, you win in the, you, 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 I, th I think you've just won in the early, the early game. <laughs> you know, I'd have my parents buy me popsicles and then I'd go and sell them to my aunt and uncle. Seriously? <laughs> Okay, so you had it. You had the bug from the beginning. I, I, I'd like to talk about the event a little bit that you just described. And I don't know to what, if there's any limitations of what you can say or anything that you... But anyway, obviously don't say whatever you can't say or don't want to say. Um, but like on that moment when you were co-founder, I, I, I imagine he was a co-founder, the, the other guy. Uh, yeah, At the moment yeah. when the co-founder taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm out in two minutes. Um, like what happens? Like, 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 what does that actually mean? Like, 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 this is like, I'm giving you all my shares and this is your problem. I'm walking away from this and I don't like In this care case, he just about... completely walked away and said, I want you to buy me out and then walked away. And, you know, then it was like, it's like going through a divorce. Um, I think different people, there's no kind of framework for how those things work. But the way it happened with me wasn't, I would say, ideal or easy to... <laughs> To deal well, with. yeah, because it's so a gigantic tough. problem. No, I mean, I just, I mean, my first impression was like, get, I mean, the way you framed at least the the scenario. I mean, if he wasn't going to be like, here, just take my shares and whatever, like, why wouldn't you walk? Away? I mean, like, because then you took all the risk and all the you well, know financial burden I, and all that on yourself. I mean, it's just it seems crazy. I mean, actually, yeah, a lot of people thought I was crazy. <laughs> I, uh, I guess the reasons why I did. The reasons why I didn't, one, we owed like three quarters of a million dollars worth of services to people that I knew and okay. people in, within circles. So I didn't think it was ethical. Um, two, although we had a lot of broken things, we still had a seven figure business and current clients. And we did have some stuff figured out. And I did know from experience, you know, having. I forget what it was back then might've been like $60,000 a month of recurring revenue or something. It's not easy to get to that. So I figured, right. um, you know, I, I figured, look, there's a lot of broken stuff here, but once I fix it, at least I'm fixing something that's already, you know, a bit up and running with, with some stuff that I could build momentum off of. And I like the name leverage. 
So I wanted to keep that name. <laughs> and how long? So and then like the turnaround. I mean, okay, I've done. I've been through some dramatic moments in my career as well. Similar sort of like you know up back against the wall. You know, financial disaster could be on the horizon type stuff. But how how long did it take you to? Like, what was the the process? Uh, was it relative? Was it relatively quick? I mean, you did some. And did you have to let anybody go? I mean, like, what was the whole? What was the what was the process actually for? To, I know it was it was pretty it was it was pretty excruciating. Um, well, one the legal battle alone took like six to nine months to get him fully out of the business. So that that was like you know it's like a divorce. That's so annoying. I mean, that's sorry. I I that is a kindred spirit. I find that so massively annoying. I can't help it. And I'm sure, like whatever, that probably doesn't even. Uh, describe how you felt at the time, but it just right. seems incredibly, ridiculously unfair. Not only are you screwing me over, now you're going to fight me over it, basically. Well, and then, you know, the amount of legal bills too, and like yeah. on top of all the problems sure. you got, then you got to pay lawyers. I mean, it was, it was, it was tough. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I had to do in that period of time. Like one, change the way that we worked, you know, and how we collaborate and which, you know, was a genesis of, of my framework. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book too, is how complexity scales exponentially with team size. And it's one of the motivations for being more efficient because it can allow you to not need to hire as many people as you might think you need to hire and being getting extra 20 to 40% out of every person in your team is far cheaper, more cost effective and less headache than just throwing more bodies, right? You have to pay for recruiting, onboarding, training, pay a salary. And it's literally exponentially more complex to manage, you know, each additional person um, on your team. So one of the things that we did too, because there was a lot of fractional people, it was, you know, how do we get rid of kind of the bottom, um, you know, the bottom part. And um, a lot of people also self-selected. There was rumors that we were going to go bankrupt. So there was just a lot of people that just are like, I don't think that you're going to be around in a month. I'm going to leave. So between the self-selection and then, you know, how do we get our best people to full utilization and, you know, simplify things, you know, so cutting the team, the team rapidly got from like 150 to 50 within a couple months. Okay. Right. And that's huge. That, that, that was huge from inefficiency and, right. you know, just, you know, one person to be responsible for 150 people. I mean, 50 people still is way too much, but yeah. 150 is, is really impossible. So we quickly did that. How do we put out some of the fires um, that we had? How do we stop, stop doing certain services that were tripping us up? Um, the counterintuitive thing that I did that people thought, I, a lot of people thought I was crazy for not bankrupting. Then they thought I was even more crazy for this, which was I stopped marketing and sales during a period where we were losing 40% revenue, which was counterintuitive. But another thing, aside from my CPR framework that I developed, which is you know, what we, what, what we keep talking about in the book. I also started realizing this thing I call ACR. Every company has attraction, conversion, and retention. And a lot of businesses, including myself, make the mistake going left to right, where, you know, you're really trying to build up that email list and market and all these things. But what's the point of attracting more people if you can't convert them? And what's the point of converting them if you can't retain them? Exactly. So, I, I, so it, it, then it, you know, kind of a core principle I developed was like, we should go right to left and not focus on, not go one more box over to the left until the previous one is correct. So 
I decided to shut off the A and the C, the attraction and conversion, until we got our retention really high. Okay. And I basically told the team, if this causes us, if we can't fix retention before we go to zero, then, you know, that's, that sucks, but there's no business if we can't, if, if we can't deliver high quality services to people as measured by retention, we don't have a business anyway to, to support. So once we kind of got retention, it's like, okay, well now, you know, how can we convert, you know, the people that have just kind of been coming in and falling on our plate, you know, how do we convert them? You know, and then after those two things, it's like, okay, now how do we get back in front of people and do some of the, the marketing activities that we know, know work, but kind of going in that order was an expensive lesson to learn that now is a core principle with how I run companies. Yeah, and, and we're obviously going to have a bit of time on the book, but I would encourage anyone listening to this because I actually have read the book and that isn't something that I always do. And and I of, of the books I read, they're not always ones I strongly recommend, but I'd say absolutely genuinely, you've got, you've got a few insights there that I haven't seen elsewhere, which we, our audience tends to either be entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about being entrepreneurs and there's so much value in the so some of the insights in the book so don't 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 we will come to that but i i wanted to talk about your the way you dealt with people that you mentioned that your co-founder was the people guy and you were the systems or doing everything else guy and are you was it something you had to learn or did you have naturally what are you are you good with people because now you come across as being sort of you know a good interpersonal skills i mean you do don't come across as one of these sort of geeky programmer types who can't can't deal with humans and is that something you've learned or did you just have it and weren't using it sorry to ask a direct question but you know it's for our audience not i guess i've always look my 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 default is i'm an introvert and you know, my relative strength is more putting on some headphones and thinking deeply about a complex problem. Um, it's not, you know, sitting there and listening to someone's, you know, issues or problems and being able to like show, you know, uh, really strong. I mean, it's a skill that I've definitely gotten stronger at, but it's not my unique ability. My, my unique ability you know, is problem solving and math and like understanding kind of like what made me successful as a high frequency trader. It's I'm good at understanding the rules of a game and then, you know, understanding like all the tools available to me, like how do I win the game? And that's kind of how I approach all this. Like I understand all the different technologies available and, and aspects and dimensions to teams collaborating and like, how do we take all this stuff that's available and put it together in a certain way to kind of win we're winning in this context is, you know, saving time and reducing the friction and scavenger hunt. Um, I've always been social. So I've always been a little bit like not the typical, you know, when I did my master's in financial engineering, like, you know, I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb a bit. I wasn't the typical profile in, in those programs. Um, but still, it's not my my baseline norm to be, you know, I would say a people person where I'm, you know, super understanding and, you know, patient and all those things. 
So you really had to get out of your comfort zone I mean, in multiple dimensions. You had the legals. You I'm still the getting out of. I'm still getting out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I, I was going to ask what your motivation, because on the one hand, you know, your focus. Because one of the things for people who haven't read the book, which I guess is most of our listeners at this stage, um, is you talk about focusing on team productivity rather than individual productivity, and it's a very important insight. That an awful lot of you know time management books is all about how I, Richard, or how Kimu can be effective, not how do I get. A, b- a bunch of people being effective and so yeah. that's that that's an important an, an, an yeah. important dimension to it but but you obviously you obviously did manage to deal with all those people like somehow and, and, but, but was was that but that wasn't a problem for you i mean you even if it wasn't what you're good at or not your key strength you did you did manage to you did obviously manage to do that, or, or, or are you glad to leave it behind? And, and sorry, the follow-up question I was going to ask was, like, doing what you're doing now is really much putting yourself in the spotlight, and you're becoming a kind of public figure. You've got a best-selling book. You're giving a lot of talks. You're out there more. And it, it, is that because you believe in the idea so much, or or do you have that sort of desire? To, let's say you're quite famous now. Do you have a desire to be, you know, on the front pages of magazines and to be a guru? Or what, where, where where are you taking this? I don't know how to to what degree I would say I'm famous or or or, or anything like that. No, I I honestly don't care if anyone knows who I am. Uh, the only purpose why I'm doing these things is you know if it helps spread the message and ultimately help us win, uh, you know, with what we're doing uh, on a company basis, right? And um, you know, so these these podcasts and 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 talks and all those things, I don't do any of it for ego or anything like that. It's really just how. What's the most effective and efficient way to to kind of spread the message in the word, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, you could do Facebook ads, you could do other things, you know. But I found this to be a more efficient and effective kind of way of getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it it was uncomfortable doing. I wasn't. What it's not my natural, you know, way of being. So it's definitely been you know through through myself in the deep end and just did enough of them where now. You know, it's comfortable. It's you know, in a lot of ways, actually fun. Like I, I, I actually enjoy it now. But yeah, for the for a while, I, it wasn't. <laughs> well, like, I'll, oh. I'll, let me ask. Let me ask a question that helps with with, with the actual goals <laughs> that you're trying to achieve. Um, I have run a couple companies, and this has been. I, I, I the problem that you solve, I think, has been something that. Okay, let's put it this way. Here, can you go and check um, what software is available to do this and that? And so you have people on your team running around, uh, and then there's, you know, within your team you have, and I'm sure you know all this, and and I'm I'm going to allow you to whatever, to talk based on your consulting experience, but like have all these people on my team are like, they have their opinions, they are their stakeholders, we're looking for this. I'm like, it's for my personal interest or no, my department needs this or that, or Salesforce is the best or whatever the, the top number one, whatever name in the in the bracket is the best. And and like, man, I could have used some, a <laughs> and I'm not saying this to, 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 to whatever kowtow to whatever you're doing. I genuinely could have used this kind of help to actually have this outsourced to somebody else and to say, look, here's what we do. What are the tools? Now, as you said, I've been doing business for a while. A lot of these tools have come, like the really good, like a lot of these really good tools have come over up in the last, let's say five to 10 years. So maybe not, you know, maybe they weren't all available, but still that problem and that process I suspect is going on 
<laughs> everywhere in the world still today, basically. So how do you, well, basically, how do you, how do you work? And then like, how does it like talk to these people? Like me, like, like I would have been in, in, in those situations. Like how, what do we, what are we supposed to do about this situation? Well, <laughs> one, you have to know that you have a problem. You have to be aware of the problem because it's hard to solve a problem if you're not even aware of it and prioritize it. And so <clears throat> one, think about time similar to like how you'd think of an invest, like a stock, right? Like you can, or money, let's say like you can invest, you can spend money, you know, you could go and you know, buy a hot chocolate and you've like spent money or you can invest money and put money in like the stock market, hoping that you're going to get a return on investment. And it's the same with time. You can spend time. Like we go watch TV now or watch paint dry on a wall. Um, or you can invest time, right? Which means like we sacrifice a bit of time now to, you know, improve a foundation so that tomorrow or next week, we never have to do that activity again, or that process is just a little bit faster, but now it's in perpetuity. And just like you have return on time uh, investment, you have return on time. And the investment that you spend fixing something after a certain number of days or weeks or months, you break even on that investment and then you're in the positive. And so I think the first step is to, to think about the problem in that way, because that's the right way of thinking about it. And then, you know, how big of a pain is this? How big of an opportunity do you think you have to fix this compared to all your alternatives, right? Because if you invest your time fixing this, say, say like on in general, fixing someone's email, getting people to inbox zero is a couple hours of time that saves three to five hours a week after that. It's a really, really, really high return on time. There's probably nothing else that you could do that would right. be a better use of time better use of energy and resources than that. Other things might take a month. And then after that month, you're saving, you know, two hours a week or something, right? Um, not full time in that month. Say it takes you 10 hours in a month to fix something. And now you're saving two, two hours a week. Well, after five weeks, you've broken even. That's pretty good too. Um, right. But maybe you, if you fix your sales funnel, that's going to generate an immediate hundred thousand dollars next week for you. So like, you know, this time stuff, the tricky thing is it's a bit less visible um, and it's a bit more invisible. So you have to kind of just gauge and survey and, and kind of um, es guesstimate a little bit how much time you're saving with things. It's not like you're going to see dollars in a bank. So that's the right. tricky thing people have to get around. And that's why it kind of sometimes is lost in the past to something to do with marketing or sales, which you more directly can tie to revenue, right. even if... Time is money, and if you get 20% more out of everyone in your company and you know what your payroll is, you can do the math yourself. I think you've done a very good job of identifying something that's so important. I'm I, I, I would say that one thing, Nick, is that I think it could well be much more than 20% better perform. You talk about oh. you bring an extra. That I, I, I would say that any new business, I've, I've started a lot of businesses and had many disasters, a few successes, but one, what I would want to have someone like you as a co-founder, because I think a business could be like five times more efficient, not 20% more efficient, but five or 10 times more oh. efficient with your mindset. And maybe, oh, and obviously I'm giving you, you I'm, 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 I'm giving you a chance to sort of like slightly blow your own thanks. trumpet, but but it's more than there's more than twenty percent at stake here, isn't it? It's way more. I I just like to be conservative with people so that like because twenty percent is just like 
it's super easy and that's already such a big impact where it yeah. this stuff should just be a no-brainer but here's another perspective that that might um might shift mindset a, a bit you know say you work a 40-hour week and you spend 35 hours on email responding to messages scheduling meetings you know what asana might define in their um uh, anatomy of work index is work about work that leaves you with five hours a week for high value, new initiatives, deep work for you know those longer term things that drive the business. If you could just even save five hours a week through this stuff, in general, we save much more. You've just doubled that five to a 10. So you've just doubled the amount of time you can now spend on those big initiatives. So actually saving about a half a day a week you could argue could potentially, depending on the allocation of admin time and scavenger hunt, could effectively, you know, if you look at it from that from that lens, double your productivity. And so, yeah, it's way more than it's way more than twenty percent. Like we, and it's also not just time savings. This stuff also affects culture because culture gets impacted when trust breaks down. Trust breaks down not just when people start stealing from you, which rarely happens, but when you can't trust that, you know. You ask uh, Jane to get something done by Friday. It doesn't get done. It's not because Jane didn't want to. It's because she doesn't have a good system to prioritize and capture all the different things being thrown at her. And so when you start working better together and having systems to capture and prioritize, less balls get dropped. When less balls get dropped, it's not just the productivity and the output goes up, but the trust goes up and the culture goes up. And also it allows you to be a bit more lean and not need to hire as many people. So it allows you also to put a downward pressure on the complexity. Yep. And one of the points you make in the book, you talked about the scavenger hunt. And just to clarify that you talk about how important it is to design systems for retrieval of information that a lot of people optimize, just like everyone likes sending WhatsApp messages because it's so easy to send, but it's not the best way to to communicate around the organization, except in certain circumstances. So you're, you've got this concept of optimize for retrieval, which reduces the amount of communication people have to have to find, find stuff out. But I, I but, Maybe in the big picture, in terms of your objectives, you talked about how you, it's not about your ego, it's not about you being famous, it's the mission. As a business, um, your business model, it looks like a mixture of training and consulting just based on going onto your website. That's, yeah. would, do, do you, I mean, would you be want, do you have a vision for like, do you want to be a huge business or do you want to persuade other consulting companies to start deploying your know-how? Do you have a sort of a, a clear vision of where it's going to be in three, five? Because um, the, the, the market is, gigantic almost every SME or even big company in the world could be your client and obviously that would be a stretch yeah, I mean no we I want to grow this into a, a a a large size not only as large as it needs to be uh but you know I want to maximize kind of what our reach our revenue opportunity and you know be a world-class you know be on that you know be on the the level with the big consulting players Okay, so you say so you're really ambitious in that space. And are, are you considering anything in parallel, like, in parallel, like having a sort of venture unit where you might only, for example, I was thinking that if you were thinking who to invest in, you would want someone in the founder team of the company you invested in to have the kind of mindset and skills that you've got. Uh, yeah, I would I, imagine. Have you have you thought have, have you thought about that yet, or is it or are you, are you a bit busy doing what you do? <laughs> 
Yeah, I think one one thing as an entrepreneur that was hard for me to learn is like saying no to opportunities and like there's so many things that we all could do. Um, but I, I really now I'm trying to be more mindful and strategic and get you know get get to that next milestone and then move on and then you know do the next thing. It's it's easy to distract yourself and try to be doing too many things and get nothing. Yeah, well. that sounds so that got, sounds ex- yeah, that sounds exactly like what you just said about your check the box, like make sure you get the retention, focus on the one thing at a time. That sounds like yeah. sorry, I interrupted you. <clears throat> no, no, it, it, exactly right. So I've got I long term I've got ideas for some software plays with what we're doing that's really interesting to me. Um I could see a, a scenario where there's like a private equity play where you know, one, I could advise private equity firms because like when private equity, when you buy a company, you're looking at their EBITDA and those things, they're not really looking from the lens of like how inefficient are they and how quickly would it be to make them 40% more efficient, which clearly would make a huge difference Absolutely. to do the valuation. Absolutely. So I so I think that's a, that's a really good way of thinking. I've been in the M and A space. That is a very that will be an attract. That's a, that's actually just a service, I, and I'm sure you're doing this if you've spotted it. That's a service that can be just provided to, to PE right away. Actually, yeah. and and you know then beyond that, how can I partner with PE firms and get their portfolio companies on similar tech stacks? So now you invest in one kind of solid yes. stack that's going to yes. work across a portfolio. And now you have a, a shared service across the portfolio. Then beyond that, how do I maybe create a PE firm at some point? And I'm identifying the opportunities. And now, you know, I put general managers in all these things, but they're running all the companies according to my framework. And, you know, you find opportunities where they've got a good product and certain aspects, but they're just really weak on the operation side of things. So yeah, awesome. I, got, I got a ton of ideas and I'm sitting on my hands. Really, patiently. really, 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 really cool ideas. I have a question about a different, actually the opposite of the, uh, of the efficiency thing. Because so then we're, we're here, we come to, how often in your consulting, when you look at these companies, is it actually better to do nothing than it is to, because some of these discussions are going to be around now again it depends on the size of the companies but are going to be around implementing larger or larger scale implementations which are not only expensive but extremely painful to the organization um i is it ever a case where is there ever an answer that actually it's better not to do this at all this is going to cost you a lot of money and a lot of time and the roi you're going to get on it is negligible that never happens never there's never a not there's just a not now and um and it depends on so many things like how what's the tech savviness of the team how long is it going to take to adopt uh you know if someone's losing money and they can't they they might not be able to make payroll you know you might not want to document your pro now might not be the best time to document your processes you might have to figure out something a bit more urgent in general I haven't seen a company or a team where doing an inbox zero training, teaching them how to use Gmail and Outlook wasn't a smart idea immediately. Yeah, that's you know, so that's, long, that's a no-brainer. That's that's I'm just sure a complete that's a no-brainer. no-brainer. And also why it's a no-brainer, it's so quick, you get that return on time basically within a week uh, versus you know uh, months or longer. Another important distinction with teaching email versus other tools, which makes it 
really strategic to start is it's a single user activity, meaning even if only a fraction of the team gets on board, those that get on board get the benefit of you know knowing how to use it properly versus these other collaboration tools like Slack or Microsoft Teams or Asana, they're only valuable if you have alignment across all the people using it together, right? What's the value exactly. of a cell phone if you're the only person that that has exactly. a cell phone? Exactly. Nothing. You have no one to talk. So there's there's a there's a just more more complex change man management aspect, and you have to be coordinated in the rollout more so than yes. the others, right? Um, but email, you know, you use email one way. I can still use it my way and know how to use it properly. And you know, too bad for you. You're not taking advantage of it. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's different things um, and different, you know, you could teach email, you could teach Slack and Microsoft Teams, you could help roll out Asana or work management tool, you could help them roll out a, like a company wiki or document and optimize processes. You know, some of those things, all of them are needed, it just not, might not be now, it might just be not now. Email should just be now probably for everyone yeah. mm -hmm. and these other things too most likely with obviously there's exception but um for the most part you know it's it's probably hard to argue that slack or teams or a tool like uh asana or cleaning up how you're doing meetings which is costing billions of dollars of waste a year the way that meetings are run um, yes. it's hard to it's hard to make an argument that anything else on your backlog of projects and initiatives would be a higher priority than those. Do you have CRM like Salesforce on your list of things that you deal with? Cause I, I find that as a not properly used heavily. Um, yes. Yeah, CRM is yeah. critical. We partner with, with, with um, Salesforce is its own beast and there's an entire ecosystem around right, just mm -hmm. Salesforce consultants. So, you know, we, we partner with people, but I'm not trying to uh, stay build a Salesforce that. consulting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, in terms of sort of personality types, and obviously I would imagine the market is so big that it's much better to work with people who are persuaded. You know, you, you, I presume that's the start of most consulting engagements is someone somewhere thought we need to talk to next company or to leverage they hear you and they want to come to you. But then yeah. you're obviously in big tech and big implementations, you get different people, some of whom don't want to change. And how... Do you think other certain like personality types where you can see, oh, that person's going to be easy, not easy to work with. There are some people who are almost like hardwired not to be efficient type people. And you get some people who are sort of naturally well organized and other people who are naturally chaotic. And I, I rather yeah. self-indulgently say that I really have to work on myself to be well organized. I'm not a natural well organized type yeah. person. So I'm in a way I'm speaking about myself. But do you sometimes think that this person is going to be so hard to work with? I don't think this project is going to succeed. Or do you, can you convert? Yeah, well, if, if, if we don't think that we'll be successful because of the per, you know personality type will be too hard we'll just say no to the project mm -hmm. um you know but a big part of our business now is training like we've got these group we've got these group trainings that we offer on each of these different tools that we're talking about so it's no longer that it needs to be some big custom complex consulting arrangement it could be like hey could you you know help us a team of 20 we need to learn asana it's like okay cool we'll do a 30-day training just on that um you know most of the time I mean, we're not really selling, like people are coming to us and like, you know, they're in pain or, or heard, 
you know, might be listening right now and some of what I'm saying resonates and it's like, man, I really need this stuff. You know, now the rest of your team might might uh, <laughs> not feel the same same way, right? So when we're working with, you know, the decision maker, you know, I think they're they're aware. And then we, you know, for a large engagement, we have to work on the, the communications and the change management aspect to really explain the why. And we try to identify quick wins so that very quickly people are net positive. The time that they've invested with us um, is a fraction of the time that we've saved. So that builds the no like, and trust. And um, it becomes just an easier conversation. Like, hey, I, I've saved you five hours. Could you give me two this week so I could teach you this next thing? You still got an extra three that you never had. Nice. And in terms of, can you put a few numbers on your business just in terms of how many people have you got? How fast are you growing? What's, and I'm really curious, what's the largest organization you've ever worked with that you're allowed to name? And if you're not allowed to name it then, or don't want to name it, just say it's had 25,000 employees or whatever. And have you done any ROI calculations of something truly spectacular? And what would be perfect would be like a General Motors and you know, you've saved them like 65,000 hours a month or something ridiculous. But could you, can you just get any, any numbers to help sort of quantify what you're doing? I don't share com our company numbers and our clients were under NDA, but I mean, I could tell you it's like, you know, we worked with top 10 biggest companies in, in the US mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and the impact is, is, is quite large, but yeah, unfortunately I can't share like specific numbers, but you know, it, it's, it's been with companies above a hundred thousand employees. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, is there anything we haven't asked? No, we you... might not work with we we might not work with all hundred thousand. It might be select teams inside of those because, like, when in an organization's that big, you know, some small random teams are bigger than ninety nine percent of most companies in the U.S. Hmm. What were you saying? I was just to say, is is there anything like I know? Obviously, we haven't gone into detail on the book. Is maybe is there other things that that you think are particularly important from the book that you haven't mentioned it's hard to summarize your entire book in like a few minutes but like what haven't we covered that you think is really you'd like our listeners to know about that is important in your on your process um, you know there's a part where i talk about how time isn't linear and it's not just about saving time it's about optimizing time and when you look at a calendar it's not that all time slots are equal it's more like a heat map and you know it's unique per person, but like for me, 9am on a Monday is probably my most valuable time slot on the whole week, right? Like I've had a relaxing weekend, I've woken up, worked out, had a coffee, whatever. My brain's at full horsepower at, at that time, you know, compare it to seven o'clock on a Friday, right? Like later today, I will have probably had a hundred meetings for the week. I'm going to be tired. I'm not going to be at full horsepower. If if at seven o'clock I'm in an Uber, you know, I live in Manhattan, say I'm going down to Tribeca and I don't have Wi-Fi and I'm just on my phone and I'm tired after a hundred calls, my time for that 15 minutes isn't as valuable as the first 15 minutes at 9 a.m. on a Monday. So, you know, being aware that time isn't linear and being um, aware of like, what should I be doing at what time slots? What will require my brain to be at full horsepower, not at full horsepower? then starts driving a lot of interesting decisions. For example, maybe an hour long meeting doesn't need to be an hour. Maybe they could be 45 minutes and you have people record a loom video and asynchronously give you that report out. Now you just say 15 minutes so you can time shift. 
to watch that video in the back of that Uber and make higher use of the time when your brain isn't at full horsepower. And now you've just freed up 15 minutes when your brain is at full horsepower. You know, one meeting, what I'm mostly interested in, like we said at the beginning, it's not individual productivity, but it's, it's productivity at scale. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should start saying it like that. It's <laughs> team productivity, right? So that one meeting for 15 minutes isn't going to make or break you. But if that meeting is weekly and that meeting's got four people on it, you know, you know, and say you got 50 of those meetings in a year and there's four people, that's 200 occurrences where you just optimized it, right? Now, how many meetings do you have, you know, does your team have in a week and apply that same thinking? And now thousands of meetings have just, you know, been optimized with this new way of thinking. It starts making a meaningful impact and it's just a mindset shift. It doesn't require fancy technology to, to achieve that. Hmm. Yeah, certainly that resonated and it, it it is obviously different people have different times, but but that that that's that's good. Kevin, is there anything else you want to ask at, at all? Because I think are you going to Tribeca tonight? <laughs> I might. Where do, you, no, where do you live? I, I live in. Don't worry, I'm not gonna fall. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to hunt you down. Bump into each I mean, other. And then crack out. I, but I actually was born in New York. Oh, that's no. why. Um, so, no, I do have one last question because uh, I'm. We have to stop. Actually, we got to be mindful of the time. Um, Imagine, because I, I think about this a lot, being an entrepreneur myself, you had this job where you were uh, the, doing the trading and you're basically, you're a solo guy. You're, I, I, that was my understanding, at least. You didn't have a team of people. It was depending, the, 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 your results were dependent on yourself. You have a team, but I mean, there's a lot of individual contributions. Yeah, it sounded like it was a lot of, you know, it's more of like you're responsible for this project, but this project's you. And then where now you're running a big or you're running a company, a sizable company, and you're responsible for all these people and all this stuff. And I just wonder, do you ever miss? Do you do you, do do? You, I, I know you're probably going to say no. I love doing uh, you know managing people, and it's the best part. But you know, because I, I I I I when you deal with a lot of people, at some point you're like, man. I just like, <laughs> it's also kind of nice to just have to take care of yourself and your own stuff and, uh, you know, not yeah. be responsible for all these people. Just, I just wonder if, if you ever think about that. Yeah, no, there's aspects of high frequency that I really miss. And one, one big one was, um, you know, being able to just really focus on like one really tough problem for an extended period of time. And, you know, running, running a company, writing a book, like we've got all these initiatives. So I'm just you know, sw switching between a million things all the time. So I think that I'll be able to kind of in the next six months, get back to a little bit more freed up. <laughs> I need to, I need to find some extra time myself, you know, um, <laughs> run a, run a, uh, run a project yeah. on yourself. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would, I would like, I would like to get to a point like where I could go back and start doing a bit more deep thinking, which is, di it's just, you know, impossible when you just launched a book and you're right. just, you know, in that mode. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I would strongly encourage anyone who's either running an organization or thinking of running one to take a good look at um, Nick's um, business and the book. And it made a lot more sense than most of the most of the books that cross my cross my desk. And I think it, it, if Thank there you are, for reading it. Well, well, no, I, it was it was really good. And you know, if there are other 
books and links and i'm sure you're aware of some of the people the big people in this field like i don't know cal newport and you know deep i noticed you talked about deep work but if there are other things that you think people who listen to you would enjoy reading if you zip them over in an email afterwards we'll add that to the show notes as well obviously maybe sure. maybe you maybe you just say you know just read my book and that's all you need to do but I mean, it doesn't seem like you're that that kind of guy the only thing i would say is that if at some stage you're looking at that private equity idea and you're interested in any extra extra capital i would be <laughs> please give me a call I, I think it's a great idea and i think that deploying efficiency de- deploying and you're not the first person to think of this but deploying efficiency on a companies that are being acquired and baking it in from the start in startups is something that people pay way less way well, too I, little attention to maybe we bump this project higher up how much you want to give me well, I think that's not a conversation <laughs> to have. Uh, uh, billions, billions, and anyone who sends in 10, 10 million, we'll, we'll, we'll cut, in, cut in the listeners. No, no, but I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, you live in New York, don't you? Is that right? You live yeah. in New York. Yeah. Yeah, well, may, maybe, maybe at some stage, if, uh, or if you're in Europe, we could, we could have a coffee. But I, I th- I th- I'm just, I'm just I, I, think it's a, I think it's a big opportunity, but I suspect you should probably focus on the consulting company for the next few months at least. <laughs> yeah, 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 one thing at a time. Thing well, at thanks for thanks for having me on the show. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs>